Well, we're Rad happy to have back. you back on with us. So thank you. Now you're in a professional's hands with Ralph. I don't agree. <laughs> hey, Bob, how are you, my friend? I'm good, Ralph. Good. Listen, there's so much to talk to you about. And I think the first thing for those that maybe have never met you or don't know the list of the depth and the breadth of everything you've got going, can you tell us how many racetracks you're currently running? And how many different races you put on this year? Oh, Ralph, that's a tough one. But, you know, I, I think just track enterprise alone was doing around 26 racetracks at our, our specialty events. And then um, when we took on the different series, uh, CRA, Midwest Tour, helped with Southern Super Series, started our Stars National Tour, those uh, numbers of tracks just really multiplied quickly. So a lot of racetracks. It's incredible. And you're involved in two wheels and four. We do. We're proud to work with uh, AFT. We've done some motocross before, but uh, AFT at the Decoy Mile has always been a lot of fun. So, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, just, just glad to be doing a lot of different types of uh, racing and, 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 you know, again, worked with Kevin Miller there a lot. So it's, it's just good to have a wide variety of, and a, a lot of depth. Let's start by talking about the ASA Stars National Tour, which you have the logo behind you there, which I got to be a part of this year in the inaugural rejuvenation of the series, uh, which was fantastic to be a part of that. We ran 10 races this year. And they were all very successful. What was your reason for going out and attempting to unite all of these late model racers the way you did? Well, you know, I think the number one reason was the demand. Um, as we were doing more pavement racing at Nashville and, and with our friends at ARCA, we were hearing more and more about, a, you know, a pavement late model national tour. Uh, a lot of people talked about doing one. A lot of people talked about the void that was left after ASA all pro, um, you know, Bob Harmon and, and, and Rex and everybody Robbins that was doing these uh, national tours per se. Um, seemed like there was a void seemed like the teams and the fans were asking a lot about it. So as we progressed from Nashville on to um, purchasing CRA and then talking with Greg McCarns um, with the Midwest tour, and then obviously our relationship with Tim and Pat at the Southern Super Series, it became more and more evident that this national tour was possible to get started again. So that was kind of the, 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 the thought process. And again, it's only been less than 12 months um, when we announced this and, and um, you know, we did get our inaugural season in with 10 races, but again, we feel we're very in the very early stages of uh, really doing something good. You know, as I think about the uh, late model series that are running around the country, it's very challenging. I think even for those that are in the midst of it to really understand everything that's going on with it. And there's super lay models and pro lay models and lay model lay models. It's, it gets really kind of confusing and convoluted in there. How do you go about then diving in and saying, okay, I need a little bit of this, a little bit of that. We're going to mix it all up in a pot. And this is going to be our national tour. Well, we focused on just the super late models. So even though we found out as we got started, those rules were a little bit different from region to region. 
the basic super late model out there across the United States was very similar. Um, it's different than the pro late model. It's different than the, the limited stock. Um, it is a true super late model on pavement. And um, those rules uh, basically just needed tweaked and joined together a little bit better um, from different region to region, possibly some, um, some things that happen over the years, normal progression that maybe got um, not teched the same in different areas. So um, that's what we've done. We've, we've spent a lot of time in um, joining all those tech procedures and gray areas in the different regions of the rules together. And, um, you know, we, we really have a lot of focus working with the teams on cost containment. As I think a few of your other guests have talked about the, the cost of racing, um, cost of living in our society today has really increased dramatically since COVID and um, some of the supply chain issues. So we're going to spend a lot of time with cost containment for these guys. You were able to unite almost the entire country in just the first season. Um, how tough is it going to be to pull everybody together? Well, again, I, with us being directly involved in the three major regional series, um, whether we, you know, talk to the people out west or the people out east a little more, um, I don't see it being that difficult for us to get on a national set of rules um, similar to what the 410 Sprint cars, um, Kevin Miller's USAC Sprints, the non-wing Sprints, um, you know, some of these other series have done a good job. Now, a lot of that was dirt I just mentioned, but um, the philosophy and the, the theory is still the same. You know, if, if you can race in uh, uh, Madison, Wisconsin, you can race at Pensacola, vice versa. So we're really focused on getting everybody together, um, even working with some other sanctioning bodies and some other series. Um, but maybe that can help in the cost containment is uh, keeping these people all on the, the same rules. You did a tremendous job in putting up big purses for these racers each and every round. And you took them to the most famous, most sought after venues that they all want to say they raced at and won at, including North Wilkesboro this year as part of the rejuvenation of that historic venue. You went back to Winchester, you're at Nashville, Madison, Milwaukee. I mean, the ASA Stars National Tour hit all of the famous tracks, Five Flags and so forth. Where do you go from here now? How fast can you expand out? Will it be 10 races again in 24, or are you going to go further? No, um, in 24, we're going to have 10 races again. Uh, we hope to uh, announce this schedule at PRI. Um, it is pretty well put together right now. So it'll be 10 races again, um, 10 plus. You know, when, when we talk about these other three regional tours, those are very important to us. So we feel that we really need to continue building the strength of all this and um uh you know just not grow too fast um we did learn some things uh about the teams and the travel and the budgets and for 2024 we felt that 10 races was a good number for these teams to be able to afford you know when we ask them to go up and down the road to the south or to the north you know that's expensive for these guys to do and when we first started and maybe even today 10 does not sound like very many but we found quickly that that was a, a, a tall order for pavement racing to be able to go and spend the money with the crews, the motels, the tire bills, 
um, different cars. Um, it's so much different than dirt. So we learned that very quickly. And, and we feel that to do this properly, looking ahead into 25, 26, that for 2024, we're going to stay with 10 races. You also brought in a great cast of racers. We had hugely popular veteran super late model racers like Bubba Pollard. And we had bright young talent like Gio Ruggiero who came out and won races this year. So it looks like the core of what you need there from the driver's part of it is set that you're able to attract a legend like Bubba yet show that if you come and race with the ASA stars national tour for a young driver like Gio, then maybe it's a stepping stone up the ladder to something bigger and maybe onto NASCAR like ASA did back in the nineties with drivers like Johnny Benson and Jeff Neal and so forth and so on. Well, yeah, I mean, you hit it on the head. We had over 121 teams this year participate with us. Um, you know, one race had 55 drivers. I mean, so we've, we had great participation. And I think uh, me being the promoter that we've done all these races and watching series and what makes it successful for the fans, um, take ARCA, for instance, when, when we had Frank Kimmel and Ken Schrader and everybody racing there, and then the young people were coming up through it whether it be how Justin Algar did or the multitude of drivers that came through ARCA here now and went straight to NASCAR. Um, this is just like maybe a series below the ARCA's uh, Menard series. And, and we feel that we have the same strength for the fans in our driver talent pool where the Bubba Pollards or the Stephen Nassies or, or on down that list can continue to stay in this series, make a living, obviously go to some other races, throughout the summer, but this is a good place to stay. Or it's a great place for a young driver to come through, hone his skills, get a lot of laps, learn about pit stops, learn about crew members, learn about the car, and have some NASCAR scouts watching him as he's making laps here in this series. So I believe that's what we're going to build on. We're going to build strongly on the veterans versus the young kids coming through. And, um, you know, whether it's the, the young females, the diversity programs, whatever it be, um, we feel that's a big part of this. And, and another thing that we found, um, Ralph, is that team owners, you know, we have owners just like NASCAR, just like ARCA does, that uh, can give up a, a good young uh, person a great place to race and some good equipment with a good pit crew and a good spotter and a good chief. So we just think that the this level is was looking for something that like we're getting right off from. I got a lot I want to get to with you. And one last thing here with the ASA Stars National Tour. One of the things I really liked this season was that you you got on to some of the traditional events throughout the country that super late model racing, ASA racing has been a big part of, and you made those a part of the future for ASA. One of those, for example, big race up at Kakana, Wisconsin International Raceway. Traditional race date, traditional event, ASA stars headline of the show really helped take it to another level. It did. You know, we're fortunate to have some great venues, but also some great partners in these promoters um, that, that took a chance with us. They wanted to take it to the next level. So what we do now, again, we're only going to pick 10, and there's always that fine line of the local, the regional, um, contingent versus these local, these national guys that are going to travel from the south to the north or vice versa. So we really have to be conscious of all that. And again, 
by only keeping it to a 10 race schedule for now, um, we think that we'll be able to really pick again 10 premier facilities for these uh, these racers to go. We've already announced our opening date, so we can talk about that. Uh, be a first time for us. We'll be going to New Smyrna um, down there in February for their World Series for their their Speed Weeks type event on uh, Tuesday, February 13th. Will be our opening race for the Star Series. So we think that's really going to kick it off great. That's fantastic. Last year was at Five Flags. I assume. I know you can't talk about it yet, but hopefully you'll be going back to Five Flags again. That's such a fantastic speedway for late model racing. But New Smyrna during Speed Weeks, kicking off Speed Weeks, that's just tremendous. Okay, let's shift it a little bit to something else I know is very important to you, and that's the Milwaukee Mile. You've had a long history of working and promoting at the Milwaukee Mile. What can you tell us about what's coming there in 2024? Well, there's a lot of racing, I can tell you that. You know, when, when we started there with the late models several, several years ago with Greg McCarns and the Midwest Tour, um, the management, the staff, some of the fans uh, had one of the media ask me, why are we even trying? You know, they thought it was dead. Um, it was beginning to get its, its last rights. And we were fortunate. The fans came out. The racers came out for our first late model race there on Father's Day weekend. And we stuck with it. Um, we made some improvements. We brought the Arkham Menard series in with a great sponsor, Sprecher. Um, just everything was coming together really good. And then we got our NASCAR truck race. So last year was our first NASCAR truck race there with Clean Harbors. And um, I tell you, it was just a, a huge crowd, a great race, a great weekend to be involved. And um, so we feel proud about building all that. And then this year, um, you know, well-known in the media, IndyCar will be coming back also. So Man, the, the Milwaukee Mile will have a lot of racing going on this year. Is its future secure, or does it always depend on how it did this year, is it, whether or not we go again next year? Um, the future, I believe, is very secure, at least as far as I'm concerned. And one telltale <laughs> sign of that is the state of Wisconsin and the Milwaukee management uh, there at the facility has done such a good job, and they've invested a lot of money. Um, last year, I think they spent over $3 million in safety, uh, enhancements for the NASCAR truck race. And this year they're even spending more. They do it a phase one and a phase two. And I think they'll even be in a phase three, um, not too long. So I think that's a pretty good telltale sign that the Milwaukee mile will be open for a long time for auto racing. Well, that's fantastic to hear. I know one of the things that you and I talk about a lot that we both scratch our heads over and we hate to see it winding down is mild dirt track racing. You promote two of the best in the world at DeCoin and Springfield. And unfortunately, just two of the few that are left racing. Why can't we keep mild dirt tracks open for business with auto racing? Well, again, I mean, I don't want to be selfish, but I'm, I'm very proud to say that, that we're up, you know, to working with the two that are left, uh, Springfield and DeCoin. And, uh, Again, the future looks very bright there. The state of Illinois, the governor's uh, very bullish on what we're doing there. Um, to speak of the other ones that didn't make it, you know, just different, you know, areas and markets where Syracuse, what happened to that? Um, Indianapolis, you know, we had a part of that for a while and they they moved forward with some economics and um, they're just, um, they're a dirt mile, very big, very large. So we don't get to race there weekly we don't get to race there bi-weekly you know sometimes we race there once or twice a year and some of these uh state entities 
felt that the economics weren't making sense. Um, you know, part of the reason for not being on a race there more often is these cars that we have today, um, the weekly cars just really aren't built for these big tracks, whether it be the motors, the, the, the transmissions, the roll cages, a lot of things aren't built for these high speed tracks. So to go to the dirt miles is, uh, is going to be a, a luxury that we're all going to get to enjoy hopefully for a long time. Um, back to USAC again, the car counts have been through the roof lately. You know, we approach 40 every year where back in, you know, 15 years ago, t t 10 years ago, we were lucky to have, you know, 15 show up. So that's increased greatly. The ARCA counts are picking up more. Um, the, uh, again, the flat track motorcycles are very exciting on the dirt miles. So um, again, we're just happy and proud to be involved with Springfield McCoin and um, the other tracks, you know, we're just going to have to settle for what we have. You know, I know Cal Expo is going away this year from the flat track schedule out in Sacramento, my hometown. And the reason being the horse community doesn't want the cars on the track that the horses are racing on. Now, I understand that we've had some issues with horses getting injured and all that, and that we don't want to see that happen. But can you explain from your experience what the cars do to the track that's so bad for the horses? Again, my experience is they don't do anything to the track. Um, today's equipment, we can make the track hard. We can make it soft, deep. We can do anything we want. So I don't think that's it as much as the horse people just want it to themselves. So it's that simple. I mean, we've been fortunate working together with the people at Springfield to coin with the horse people. We respect them and try to give them the racing service right back as quickly and as, as, uh, as the dirt as they want it back and the, the track crews do a good job with that. So I think there is definitely a, a, a course for horse people to work with the car people or in or the motorcycle people. So I think it's all just in, um, you know, the preference of the facility in the state. And hopefully that that's all driven to work together and allow both because there are fans and, and participants on both sides. One place that's doing very well these days is Nashville. Uh, you've had a lot to do with Nashville. Can you update us on what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, this day and age, I mean, everybody can probably read their phones uh, every 15 minutes, but definitely in the in the news a lot down there. Um, we've been running a, a, what we call a, a local program for several years now with our 10 races, um, culminating with the All-American 400. And it's been going very well. You're right. And we're proud of what we've done there. But the place is uh, is needing some upgrades. They've built a new soccer stadium right beside us. They've they've upgraded the streets and the the areas around us. So the facility of the racetrack uh, it it is in great condition for what some tracks are we race at. But it does need some painting and some upgrades. Um, still doesn't have soft walls. Still doesn't have a tall fence. Uh, new lighting, new scoreboard, some things like that that it will need, or. Bristol, the people at SMI have put forth a proposal to start all over with a bigger, fancier, real brand new place. So we're in support of whatever it takes to keep racing in Nashville. Um, we work with SMI and the Bristol people very well. And uh, it's going through the city uh, process now. Nashville is owned by the Metro City of Nashville. So the fair boards approved the new plan by SMI. And now they're going through the process with the city government to get the proper votes and um, we'll see again, that's all going to be coming up very quickly and um, hopefully, uh, you know, 
any way we can, we'll see racing, car racing to continue at Nashville. Bob, as you look at the life of a traditional weekly promoter, what's the biggest challenge for promoters these days as opposed to, say, just five years ago? Well, I don't want to be cliche, but I mean, as cycles go, um, the society, you know, again, we can talk about 2008 when the economy went bad. We can talk about COVID when we just had a shutdown. We can talk about supply chain. We can talk about the the um, the fairly new um, invent of our uh, internet and iPhones and things like that. We can talk about um, um, more competition for these racetracks locally, whether it be festivals and fairs and and people at the bowling alley or, or wherever they might be going on vacation, getting, it's easier to travel now than it was years ago, things of that nature. Um, but I think the, the, the biggest challenge for a weekly promoter is just the fact that our expenses have went up and we need to, to do a good job at the racetracks, promote these events. They're still live events. So if you see a, see a sold out, uh, uh, NFL game or a sold out college football game. There's no reason we can't have a sold out racetrack. Um, we're putting on a, a event, a place to bring your family, your kids to grow up with a tradition. And by the way, it just happens to be a sporting event that they can root on different drivers. So um, I think the biggest challenge for the, the weekly promoter is just keeping up with the times and doing a, a, a very good job at promoting his or her um, facility. How in tune to social media do you really need to be to be a successful promoter these days? I I say this often, and, and again, um, not being cliche, Ralph, but you have to be in tune to many things. This is a big bowl, a big a big stew that has many ingredients, and social media is one of thirty ingredients you need to be really paying attention to, whereas Again, 20 years ago, social media was not uh, a bother of a weekly promoter, but now it is, and it's just part of it. You need to be very in tune. You need to use it to your advantage and also keep uh, in tune of the, the bad things that are happening on social media. So, so it's just another tool in the toolbox that a promoter can use. When you look at the marketplace, do you see any young promoters out there? You used to be that guy, Bob. You used to be that young promoter who is very aggressive and coming on board that all the older promoters would look at and say, here's a future star of the promotion game. And you've become that, but do you look out there and do you see a few across the country that you say are sports in good hands, or do you greatly worry that it's too tough these days for a young guy to get what he needs, whether it's a bank loan or somebody to give him an opportunity or that sponsorship that he might need to open a facility up to keep the sport growing. I don't think it's too tough. Um, I think if you look back to the 1930s all the way up to now, any small business is tough. We know the failure rate of small businesses is, is very large. So this is no different. Um, it's a small business. It's a very aggressive, very um, challenging one. But again, I'm sure people that own restaurants would say the same thing about a restaurant or a gas station or a a trucking company or a concrete company, they're all very hard work. 
And um, your point about new promoters coming up, I don't see as many as I'd like to see, but they're out there. They're just a little farther and fewer between. Um, again, uh, you don't have to read the paper very long or the internet very long to find out that that uh, we're all in we're all in high demand looking for employees and the next person to take on a business. So I don't think we're any different than than the other local business down the street. Is it easier? I've heard this from promoters these days. It's easier to promote every now and then a big event than it is to promote weekly. Ralph, it's absolutely easier to promote a bigger event if it's already established and making money. Now, getting to that point is not easy. So um, my point to that is, you know, they don't just come and fall off trees. Um, the Snowball Derby, the World 100, you know, we could go on and on and on about um, big popular events, but none of them were fell off a tree. The Chili Bowl, they said, didn't make money for the first couple of years. So none of them are easy. Um, but uh, I don't think a young new promoter should look at those big events. You should be consistent. Um, you know, do your best job at the ones that you do do. And when you get fortunate enough or work hard enough to get one that takes legs and starts growing, then grow that, yes. But um, the bigger ones are not easier, no. I know Francis is going to be jumping in here in a minute, so I want to get two more in here real quick with you. Is the cost of promoting an event from some of these sanctioning bodies too far out now to make it feasible to put on? The cost of everything, as you said, has gone so hard high up and you're on both sides of it because you're taking a touring national body around that you need people to maybe promote your events with but at the same time you're dealing business with other sanctioning bodies have they gotten too expensive uh, it's all relative some of them have yes um but again it's what your facility or what your market will bear you know do you have a big sponsor do you have an arena that will seat 2,000 people or 20,000 people? So again, it's all relative. And I think the, the job of that promoter is to be honest with himself and, and the people he works with and work within your means. Bob, as you look towards 2024, what would you like race fans and the industry to know about what track enterprises and all this stuff you have going is going to be doing next year? What should we look forward to and how do we stay up with everything you have happening well i think you can go to trackenterprises.com and uh, follow about everything you can go off on all our different branches from our events to our facilities to cra midwest tour southern super series and then of course the the stars national tour the asa stars national tour so you can find your information on all that but um i think we should look forward to again just us being a little more entertaining um uh, again, as Kevin said earlier, uh, quality. I think we can fine tune some things that we've been putting a lot of work into, and now we can address um, more entertainment, more um, uh, responsibility with our teams and our drivers, make it fun for them and profitable um, as we can. And again, the bottom line is to make sure that the paying fan and his family see a great event in a timely fashion. Well, Bob, it's been great to have you on here. Thanks for letting Speedsport be a part of the production team for the ASA Stars National Tour 2023. We look forward to 
continuing that relationship with you down the road. And I cannot wait to get back to DeCoin in Springfield for some mild dirt track racing. Two of the best ever. That's fantastic. And any young promoters out there, you can't be afraid to get your hands dirty like Bob does. This year, I saw him on the tractor, dirt farming at DeCoin. As soon as he got off the tractor, he got in his car and drove all the way to Milwaukee to do the race there. Always on the move. Thank you, Bob. Great having you on here again. Francis, back Thank to you. you. Thank you very much, Bob. You know, Ralph said it perfectly. You are what this industry is all about. Thank you very much, sir. Registering on EPAR Trade is easy. To start, click on the Join for Free button on the homepage. First, search your company to see if it's already in our database. If you see your company on the list, click on it to select it. Then, choose Claim Company if you are one of the decision makers, an owner, marketing person, or main company contact. Or choose Join Company if you are an employee, and press Continue. If you couldn't find your company in our database, select Register a New Company. On the following page, fill out your name, email, phone number, job title, and choose a secure password. If you chose Register a New Company, you'll need to choose your business type. Select Supplier if you're looking to display products or services and connect with buyers. Choose Racing Business if you're looking to source new parts and connect with suppliers. Choose Race Team if you own or are a member of a professional race team. Then, enter your company name. Please provide a website, Facebook page, or LinkedIn if you have one, and choose to either claim or join the company. You can view and agree to our terms of use here. If you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, choose Accept. Finally, click Register Now and your registration will be submitted for approval. An email will be sent to your inbox. Please confirm your email address and you will be approved shortly. Welcome to ePartrade.